Cool. All right. So we'll start with a pop question. Um, so everybody get off and mute um, so that, that you can have the, a fair chance of hitting your family feud buzzer deal. But uh, but I want to walk through the four Gospels and the question is going to be the same for all of them. So you might want to scoot ahead and cheat if you don't know the, the first answer. But um, just real quick, how many chapters are in the book of Matthew? 28. 23 or 27. Hey. Final answer is what? 20, 26. I'm, I'm going to go with 27. Okay. Anybody want to disprove that? I, I guess 28, but we'll look at it. Look it up and see. Twenty-eight. All right, Fine. Michael Board. One, one and zero. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move to Mark. How many chapters have we got in Mark? Thir uh, hang on. It depends. <laughs> That's a trick question. <laughs> I think the last one, part of it's in there, huh? Oh yeah, I guess. Uh, some manuscripts. <laughs> no. <laughs> Marcus, uh, if you include all of them, 16. Okay. And then, um, if we move to Luke, how many we got? Oh, only 13. That's Luke is 20. Try not to look ahead. 20. You got it. It's right there before John one. <laughs> I'm guessing twenty five on Luke. Okay, anybody? 24, but I cheated. Okay. <laughs> and the last one, book John, we're in 18. Which was what's the last of, of John? Oh, I know that one. What's that one? That, that John's got 21 chapters. Okay, so we have 28, 16, 24, and 21. My point of saying that is all four of them fairly parallel in your orient orient your your um yourself to the last things um meaning the trial the crucifixion and the resurrection they all kind of parallel in the sense that if you know mark is chapter 13 and the last three are 14 15 and 16 you can pretty much orient yourself to the fact that 14 is going to be talking about the trial in mark uh, um, the uh, 15 is going to be talking about the, the the death of Jesus, the crucifixion, and 16 will be talking about the resurrection. So when we're looking at the harmony of the Gospels, that's a general rule of thumb of 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 how to how to kind of navigate through that. Um, so I wanted to start with that as a little fun to get you thinking. Um, and and what I want to do as we're unpacking this as a big picture. Um, and this isn't an exact science, it's just a rule of thumb, is I want us to, as we're finishing up this, we, we, we spent, prior to our break, we spent some time looking at the life of Judas, and we looked at the, the life of Peter. And what's unique in the book of John is in chapter 13, you see a sort of a, a mixing of the life of Judas and the life of Peter, and you, you see it here. Um, it's a little more, a little bit here in chapter 18, it's a little bit more cut and dry in the sense that what is said about Judas is in verses one to nine. And right after that, it deals with Peter cutting an ear off of a guy. But when we look at the denial of Peter, we see one denial and then John jumps into another little paragraph thought about um in verse 12 he's talking about jesus facing ananias and caiaphas and then he comes back to the story of of uh peter and then it, it breaks off to it back to the the trial between the religious leaders and then it comes back to peter so it's a little bit um 
I guess, broken up in chapter eight, the three parts of Peter. Um, it's a little bit broken up with, with the religious leaders and they're interacting as a, in a trial sense with Jesus. Um, but like when you go back to chapter 13 in John, you have a little bit of talk about Judas and then Jesus comes to something else and then he brings Peter into it and then Judas is there. So there's sort of this mixing of um, Judas and of Judas and Peter. But what's interesting is, as you see um, between four. So, so what's happening between John 14 and 17. So what's happening there is that time from the, the, got um, Jesus instituting the, the Passover supper and then his arrest. And so John gives us a, a, a glimpse in those final hours when they, when they left the upper room and they went to the garden of Gethsemane, um, they, um, he gives us a, a glimpse of what happened there. And so there's that lot of conversation where he's doing this final teaching and he's saying, it's good for you that I go away, but then the Holy Spirit will come. And, and um, he's giving them these final thoughts before he, he, he already knows he's about to be arrested. He gives them this final thought. One other story that's important in there that John doesn't capture is when Jesus is praying and the, and he has taken um, um, Peter, John and James and they're falling asleep. I mean, he keeps coming back. Why are you sleeping? And and the famous kind of phrase there is he says, the spirit is willing, um, but the flesh is weak. Pray that you do not lead it. You don't. <laughs> so he's given this picture that if we're not pray, praying and focusing on the father, we talk about how much Jesus prayed. Sometimes you hear people talk about that, but he's saying if, if we don't make prayer a serious issue and realize that it it has a big um, um, take on life and death and success in our relationship with the Lord, um, and we're falling asleep, we'll be overcome. And so I want us to think about three people. G, um, we'll, we'll, we'll go from bottom, Judas, Peter, and Jesus. So Judas fell asleep, and he was overcome by temptation. Peter was so passionate in his flesh, we'll say, in his old man, I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm not going to fall asleep. Jesus, I promise you, I'm not going to fall asleep. I'll kill him. I'll die with you. you know? And he fell asleep. He kind of went to the, the sifting of Satan, is what one verse said. But Jesus, when he is under that pressure, and he's saying, not my will, but your will, Jesus knocked the ball out the park. He did not falter in the 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 temptation into the in the weight uh before his arrest he didn't fall so we may circle back and look at that that was the thing i was going to do after peter um it's just talk, take go through that text about jesus in the garden of gethsemane but this is where we're at and so basically as we're looking at the text we see two trials there's not a whole lot um i'm not skipping or anything huh y'all hear my voice did I see my video? Yeah, I kind of froze for a second, but kicked back in. Did you hear me all right? All right. Just just um wave at me if I'm messing up. But um but so so here we're gonna have very little bit of details about the religious leader trial. That's not much of a trial, but we get into more distinctness um when Pilate enters into the situation. And I guess in one sense. You could say that um, this is the religious leader. Religious leaders are the Jewish people trying Jesus. Also, they're just doing it in a Gentile form and and not so much in their own private form. Um, and so this is a situation where they arrest him at night, which is unusual. They 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 arrest him with very um, you know charges that can't really be proven so much, um, and then they bring him. To a, to a Gentile court. Um, as we walk through this, I will bring some of the gospels, um, other gospels in and some of the intents about the trial that they that they bring to the occasion. But as far as us just staying in the book of John and looking at John, I identified 15 times the word Pilate is used. Now, that doesn't include if it says Pilate, then down in the sentence they say he I didn't, but the, when the actual word pilot in my Bible was used, I, I did 15 times. Now, what my point of that was is to 15 points in the text, um, pilot is, is introduced, um, let me see, pilot is introduced in John 28. 
and he goes all the way to 1916. So sometimes when people say um, they don't like the chapters and the verses, um, because sometimes a paragraph thought, like this case, um, Pilate is in the end of 18 and moves into 19, that that just because we go into 19, that's not like another day or that's not a uh, another thought always, but they're there for a reason. And I like them. I like them because I can tell you, hey, we're starting and, you know, when we're looking at the tech here, we're looking at 1828 to 1916. I, I like that. We've tried to do, uh, me and Jeff has done it before but we've tried to do um i think we call it book club but we we read a book together and um sometimes when you get a like a i think we might have did mere christianity or something like that well sometimes with these books you have a variety of translations in that and so some can be made easier to read and so everybody goes out and buys mere christianity and when you start interacting like we do um talking about it sometimes it's very hard to get on the same page. We're like, oh, that's interesting. Where did you read that? And they're like on page such and such. And in these cases, sometimes if everyone don't buy the same book, it's not on the same page. And even like I said, in mere Christian age, I think we did the bondage of the will. You have different translations. So like some are made easier to read. And so the verbiage isn't the same. So I, I like that we kind of, at least when we're talking with Bibles, we have chapters and verses. We can say what version are you in? And we have that that kind of framework to 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 walk through that. But back to this, what we're looking at, um, I did do a quick study. Um, Judas was used three times his actual formal name um, in in eighteen one through nine. Peter, in the three sections that he's he's in here, his name was used eight times. Um, and the religious leaders, in some form or fashion, whether Ananias or Caiaphas or high priest, was used four times in, in their, their take. But like I said, I, I will point out 15 pilots to you, not just for the sake of, hey, at pilot 13, this was the question, this was the response. And so as I wrote down my notes, sometimes when it uses pilot, Pilate is asking a question. So like out of the 15, the first five that we'll probably look at today is a question. And, and what happens is sometimes Pilate is asking a question to the religious leaders. Other times he's asking it to Jesus. But then at other times, as you walk through the list of 15, um, it's not about a question. Um, it's about... Um, let me try to see. So when we get to the seventh, the first six pilot names are questions. But when we get to the seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, as an example, what I'm talking about, it's like an action statement. So um, it's going to say pilot flogged Jesus. So one of the things that Jesus, that Pilate is trying to do by flogging Jesus is he's thinking he can satisfy the bloodthirst of the um He's wanting to save Jesus, but he's thinking he can satisfy the bloodthirst of the mob, the angry mob and crowd by beating him up, basically beating him up real bad. So he brings him up, he's whipped him, flogged him, and he comes bloody, and he's like, surely they'll feel like this is enough. And so when they say, crucify him, crucify him, and they're like, we've got to get this crucifixion happening, they're not, they're not saying that with a person sitting in a suit and tie, uh, cleaned up, hair fixed. They're, 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 they're saying it to someone that is bloody and beaten and has been humiliated, um, that kind of thing. So at that point, like 7, 8, 9, and 10, we'll look at more of the action part of it. But I just wanted us to have some kind of breakdown that we're walking through the items and that we're getting the um, a little bit of depth to the to the ideas we're talking about. So um, the the only point I have with the religious leaders, and we'll read that briefly and then try to get to Pilate, is um, in John 18, 19, well, I'll read 12 real quick, and then we'll pick up at 18, 19. But in 12, um, he's been arrested. And so in, in John 18, 12, it says, so the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Ananias, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. And then they're going to refer to a previous text here in verse 14. It says, it was Caiaphas 
who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. So if you remember that, um, it was kind of framed up as that because Caiaphas was the high priest, he had sort of the anointing or the ear to the Lord to suggest this idea of crucifying Christ or, or, or Christ dying for the sake of saving the nation. Um, so we'll we'll skip over some of the, the parts about Peter denying Christ because we've covered that. And we'll move to verse 19, picking up this basic idea of how the religious leaders dealt with Jesus before they brought him to Pilate. Um, so in 19, he says, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him. And then so so this is the main question of there's a question and an action that we have captured by John with these religious leaders. This is the main question. Um, basically, you got to pull it from the whole text, but basically the high priest, and there's a little bit of question between is that Ananias or Caiaphas, and we'll talk about that as we finish this paragraph. Um, but, but whoever the high priest is identified here, one of those two, um, and it is questioning about him, but, but he's questioning, um, Jesus about his disciples and his teachings. So he's like, what are you teaching your disciples? What are you leading them to? Are you trying to raise up a revolt? So it doesn't say all that here, but, but he was asking questions and we can glean from what kind of questions he was asking from Jesus's response, which starts here in 20. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. Now, a lot of times people like to use world and all and all that and, and create this extremely exclusive thing. But in John's gospel, when they say something like, when they see Jesus su succeeding or thriving, and they say, look, the whole world's going after him. Well, at that point in time, the whole world, little physical whole world was not going after Jesus. They were saying all the people in this little bitty small town, if you look on the map of Israel or Judea was going after him. And so I'm not trying to make a, a case of a bigger case. I'm just saying, notice that when someone says the whole world, it doesn't always mean the whole world. So use the context to look at it. Um, so here he said, yeah. I, I always um, heard that the, the world, the whole world there meant uh, both Jew and Gentile. In this the two distinctions of people in the world. Okay, but in this text or just in general, you're saying? Well, not just in, in some cases, and, and it could be in this text. So like in this te text, let's ask the question, you know, who who is the whole world here? So so they're asking him uh, what he taught, and Jesus is giving a defense of, of what he taught, and he's saying this, I have spoken openly to the world. So who do we know Jesus spoke to? He hadn't really went to the Gentiles in a significant way yet. So for the most part, um, he's speaking and he's going to give more to it. So he says, I have spoken openly to the whole world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. And I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I've said. So that's his defense. Uh, he's not telling them. He's not rehashing what he taught. He's not, you know, teaching them. He's saying, look, there's nothing shady about me. I didn't do this like trying to rise a coup in a secret dark room. I stepped right up in your temple. I taught what I taught. You were free to listen. What's the problem here? Why, why are you asking this question, you know? And, and then the response here in 22 is when he said that, when he responded in that way, he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his sand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And then to parallel in Acts, I don't know the exact chapter and verse right now, but in Acts, um, Paul comes in this situation and he gets in trouble for talking um, what maybe someone would construe as disrespectful to the high priest. And Paul apologizes. Paul says, well, I didn't realize he was the high priest. I, I'm sorry. I respect that authority. 
you know, but Jesus doesn't have to do that here. And he doesn't do it here. He says, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. This is a trial. This is about right and wrong. This isn't about emotions. This isn't about opinions. If I have said something wrong, if I've shown disrespect and that is a then point that out to me. And, and he says, bear witness about wrong. But if what I say is right, why do you strike? So here, Jesus is doing something cool here. He's not reteaching what he said to the disciples. He's like, when I was in the temple, when I was in the synagogue, I was teaching. And you've got all access to all the people that can verify what I taught. You had the option to come and hear what I say. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to reteach it here. It's there. You know, if you're serious about the truth, you can find it. It's not been hitting. And then he's also, when they respond emotionally, when they respond emotionally and slap him and how are you taking authority and talking to the priest like this? He basically brings to the, to the table what is right, what is wrong. Later, he's going to say, he's going to talk about it in terms of truth with Pilot. Um, but what is right? What is wrong? And I think that's a key theme of our day. It's a key question for us to ask. We live in a world that's confused about what is right and what is wrong and what is truth. Are there absolute truths or are truth is just a general term that you can have your truth and I can have my truth and we all can just live in, in, in bliss together. And Pilate begins to ask this question, what is truth? So we'll come back to that. But my last thing about this paragraph, and we'll just kind of open it up for discussion a bit, is um, in verse 24, it says, Ananias then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, we don't pick up another paragraph necessarily that says that he was, this is what was said at Ananias's house, and then he went to Caiaphas' house, and this is what was said at Caiaphas' house, and then he went to Pilate's house. So all of this that we hear that is exclusive to the religious um, um, trial um, within the Jewish community at night by these religious leaders, and then moving to Pilate, um, this is the content that we have. So, like I said, it's it's a little bit confusing to me, um, you know, to discern. And I don't think we have to know that answer. We know that Ananias was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, which was the current seating high priest. He's the one that predicted that this would happen with Jesus. And this is the content. So, you know, I'm not going to you know, spend a lot of time trying to come up with an answer that's not just plainly there. But like I said, just, just notice that, that, you know, was this high priest that's questioning, was it Ananias? What is it? Can I think the plain reading of the text sort of leads to Ananias, but it's using the word high price priest and technically Ananias wouldn't have been the hot sitting high priest at that time. So that's another trivial question for you to, to figure out. Um, maybe on your own time, but, but, but as far as what we're looking at here, what do you, what are your thoughts about how Jesus responded to their questioning and, and that kind of thing? Any, any big picture thoughts or how does it, how does it move on your heart and impress you? What do you, what do you see there? Jeff, you got anything? You must be busy. Mike, how about you? No, not really. I, I just, um, they asked about his disciples and his doctrine. And, you know, I know we kind of chased a rabbit on his response, but I think what Jesus was saying is, you know, whether it was the disciples or to everybody that in the, in the known community, my message was the same, you know? So it wasn't like he was, had a, had a secret message for this small group of disciples um, whatever he taught them, he was also sharing with everybody he came in contact with. Yeah. I mean, and 
And Isaiah said he's not going to say much because that he was silent like the sheep led to the slaughter, but he did say a little. Um, so he didn't really try to, um, you know, get defensive. I think he just kind of wanted uh, whoever was present to really think about what he was saying. So we questioned, like, if I said something wrong, you know, let me know what I said wrong. Um, let's see. So, you know, he's basically not hiding anything, so he's, you know, bringing it to their mind to uh, at least start thinking about what they did hear him say, which would be the truth. So in their minds there at the end, they would be, whether they uh, agreed with it or not, they were thinking about the truth that, that he had spoken in public. But he doesn't uh, really seem like it, like he's trying to trying to defend himself. Yeah. It's kind of uh, he was silent between, you know, yeah. Um, and we get to that. Um, Pilate's going to question him in a little bit here, um, at, and um, and he's just silent. And and Pilate is shocked by him being silent. And he tells him, "Do you not know that I have the authority to release you or to crucify you?" So, so yeah, we'll 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 see that. And and it's interesting to think, like, you know, we know Jesus. Everything he did was right on time and perfect. Um, so, so it's it's interesting to least question why was he silent at this point, and then he spoke, you know, openly, you know, at, at another point. Um, when you look at um, plainly, when you're in John ten, I think it's twenty two to twenty four, somewhere up in there, um, verses. Um, they say, "Tell us plainly if you're the Christ." And then later, later, if you just search that word plainly, um, and shoot where is it um i think it's in um 16 john 16 25 26 somewhere right there um they they say um you're not using figure of speech you're talking plainly to us so so jesus had a way of going from mode to mode and kind of keeping things a little bit mysterious at times um and then just just speaking the plain truth and i think even today sometimes we're seeking the will of god for our lives and um and feels like he's so silent and and you're like what are you doing god and then at other moments he speaks so clear and you're just like got it i know i know i know he said that i'm going to walk in obedience in that because you know and and like uh, as culture looks at you they may say um dude why are you so confident in that or why are you so sure in that decision why are you you know and 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 that's faith i mean when we when we know our lord we know the voice of our shepherd and he speaks to us and he leads and guides us and we're obedient children. We get it. You know, um, we can have that walk, but there are seasons that Jesus is very quiet. And those are hard seasons to, you know, whether it's people having problems, why he's quiet or why he's not defending himself in this case, or whether it's in our personal life where we're praying for something for our marriage, our family, our friends, our job, our career, whatever that might be. And we're just like, Lord, I remember when you led me so clearly. And 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 now why are you so silent? Why are you so quiet quiet? Can you please give me direction on that? And sometimes that is the journey. Um, and you just keep waiting. But when he speaks, it's worth it. It's worth the wait. Um, Mr. Wayne, any I know I went on a tangent, but any thoughts on on the text of what was said here? No, uh, you're leading up to the right point, I believe that uh He's, Jesus speaks the truth and allows the truth to uh, do its work, you know, and, and those who won't hear are not going to hear that. And he doesn't try to do it by revolution, but he does, does what he does by truth. So if, for those in the leadership of the, of the Jews, if they come to realize that he was the truth, then they would be converted by the truth, not by, by his hollering and screaming. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jeff, any Thing, I'll give you one more chance and you might be tied up. Um, so if he don't jump on, um, so we finished in 24, 19 and 24. We looked at that religious leader and let's try to move to Peter. Um, I mean, to um, Pilate. Um, if you notice in 25, that's talking about Peter to 27, the rooster crowed three times. So let's look at um, 28 and we'll read just a little bit here. And find our first identification of the, of the of the use of the word pilot. I know some of you might use a different version, so I'll try to point out um, 
when I see Pilot and the ESV is what I have. Um, and so if you have a difference, you know, just, just let, let me know. I'd, I'd be curious to know that a different version doesn't use Pilot or that way, but hopefully um, the 15 Pilots will transfer if you're in a new King James or NIV or something like that. Hopefully that won't create a problem. But um, so verse 28, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas. So this is picking back up where we just finished to the governor's headquarters. It was early. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So that's that's a point of interesting thought there that, you know, here they are trying to kill Jesus, but they're worried about not being defiled so they can eat the Passover, like <laughs> kind of odd um, motivations there. But here in 29 is where I see my first um, pilot. It says, so pilot, when outside and and to them and said what accusations do you bring against this so in these first five pops we're going to have a question and so the question here is a practical simple one um Pilate is the governor and his job is to kind of keep the jews this this jewish nation in check and this jewish nation has a person they've got upset with and they've done some internal trial, um, um, whether that be a good trial or a bad trial, doesn't matter. They've done some type of trial and they've determined that that this guy is guilty beyond um, the, the, the capacity of what they can do bad to him. And so they're bringing him to Pilate and saying, hey, look, we need to we need you to put some badness on this guy um, beyond what we can do. And so Pilate is like, you know early, you know, what, what is this going on? And I mean, that would have been his initial response. And he just asked this question, what accusation do you bring to this man? And that's just logical. Any trial, any judge um, that a case is brought to him, the first thing he would probably say is what's the case? What accusation? What has he done? You know, blah, blah, blah. Now, in most sane situations, which this is not a sane trial, but in most sane situations, we would say he was caught speeding. He was caught stealing, blah, blah, blah. And the judge would say, well, you can't be stealing and you can't, you know, can't be breaking the speed law. Guilty. What you have a, anything you want to say? I mean, pretty much the law you broke it. You got to pay the fine, do the time, you know. And, and so this is that idea of trial, but this is a unique trial. It's an insane trial. And so the, the response, the first two questions is a response from the religious leaders. And the response begins to show you that it's sort of a, an emotional or a mock trial or a corrupt trial because it, it goes down a, a path that's not logical, but that it's it's more emotional. So Pilate asked this question, what accusation do you bring against them? And in verse 30, it so so in these first five, it's worth playing. It's it's Pilate and it's the, the religious leaders are it's Pilate and Jesus. And so here, these first two are Pilate and the religious leaders. And so they answered him. If this man were not doing evil, would would we would not have delivered to him to you? So they answered nothing to the question that the direct question that Paula asked is 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 what accusation do you bring against him? So you would say he he stole my horse, and then Paula would do the investigation investigative work to see if he actually stole the horse or not, and then you know, then would put the crime if it's been proven that he stole the horse. Well, they're blow, blowing past this basic logic of a courtroom. They're saying, what do you mean? You know, if he would have done something, we wouldn't have brought him to you. So this is where we're complete, we're, we're, we're defined logic and we're just, we don't have to, we feel like we don't have to make a case. We just, if we're emotional enough and we say, we're really mad about this, then then the judge should just sentence the guy. Yeah, yeah. if y'all are mad, he needs to go to jail. And um, and so 31 is the second one. It's of, of Pilate, Pilate 2. And he says, Pilate said to them, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. So in one sense, He's saying, well, y'all handle certain minor issues in your court system, but but 
the only reason you should bring anything to my court is if it's really bad. And if I've asked you what he's done and you can't even tell me, would bother me. Would wasting my my time. And so take him yourself and judge him by your own law. He puts it back on. You know, Pollock does a lot of that. He 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 keeps trying to put it back on someone else. But he's saying like, what is this? Handle this your own self. And then he says the Jew. And then the Jew said to him, "This is their response." It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So now they're saying the reason we're coming to you is because we need crucifixion. We need the death sentence. We need him to be put out of this world. But yet still at this point, and they're still not going to ever do this. They still have no practical, plain sense accusation against him. They can't say, Pilate, this guy robbed all the widows fun, you know, or, or anything like that. That's not what they're bringing. So this is what's showing corruption in the trial. And um, and then to just finish this, this is a little bit side note. But but when they say we can't put anyone to death and they're they're saying, look, we're not really making a legitimate case. Our lawyers are terrible. Um, we're just upset and we want you to kill this guy because we will get in trouble for killing him. When all that said in 35, it says this was to fulfill the word that Jesus has spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So this verse 35 is one of those like this was prophesied and this is happening. You know, it's just saying this is the fulfillment of the way it was supposed to go. Um, no big deal here. So we'll 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 pull up there and pause. Um, any thoughts on that, on those two questions? And how they handled it, and um, anything you see here. Well, uh, our Bible makes uh, makes it apparent how corrupted the uh, leadership of the Jews was, and I think that is a reasonable purpose. You know, we we realize that. I'm uh, reading this book called God Is Love, which is a commentary book on the Book of John. And uh, there's a lot of good comments about Pilate in the book. And he said, you know, we have to be careful of who, who our enemies are. In other words, um, but the Bible makes it clear that the leadership of the church became corrupt. And Jesus, you said, you were saying Jesus didn't, doesn't persecute anybody. No, he allows them to, just like he allowed Judas to go do what you got to do. He allowed the leaders to do what they did, but he still wants his, his people to understand that the leadership became corrupted by the law and uh, they weren't following God. They weren't truly worshiping God when they did that. Yeah. So it makes it all clear how, how, how absolutely certain that the leadership was that they were right. And Jesus was wrong. Yeah. So what you, what you think Mike about the attitude of the leaders here? What, what do you see there in this trial? There's something about rolling through this as slow as we are, because it really makes me ponder and think, you know, but in verse 31, where they their argument was, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. I don't know if that was necessarily a true statement when you look back at the Levitical laws and everything that they could have done. So I just asked the question. Is it, is it because they were under Roman law that they didn't have that authority anymore to put anyone to death? Yeah. It seems like that's what the context is, because yeah. that's their warning from... Like like I had read that before, that it was because they were under Roman occupation that the Romans didn't allow them to put anyone to death. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Paul? You see anything there that sticks out? It just reminds me of another, and I can't remember what I can't remember exactly which gospel it's in, but when Jesus was teaching in the in the courts, in the temple courts or or one of those places, and and they wanted to stone him. And he said, Well, by what, what which one of my miracles do you want to kill me for? And so he's thinking he's making them at that point stop and think about the miracles he's doing. And they say, Well, it's not because of the deeds or the miracles you've done, it's because you claim to be the son of God. Yeah. So this line of this line of things here 
this kind of reminds me of something that had already happened, you know, at, at least a certain time period prior to this. Um, very similar. Yeah, that was John 10, 31 to 39, kind of addressed just that. Um, but so one of the things, and I, I don't want to make, I want us to look at the text and, and see the text before we, we, we go to application. But like one of the reasons that I, I, I feel a, a burden to go through this is because I think we can learn some things from this trial, the, the trial of trials to have perspective on how to face our trial today. Um, you know, what does a, a faulty accusation look like? What does a corrupt trial look like? And so one of the reasons we have problems in our day, um, um, like, like say, for example, I mean, there's a lot of people today, you can ask them, what is a woman? And they will not define it. I mean, if there's, if, if you can't define between what a man and a woman is, I mean, you've kind of went to some sense of insanity. I mean, you've, 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 you've fallen away from, from logic and God don't need, you know, sometimes you hear the term blind faith, but God don't need us to be ignorant, to believe in him. Like we can still be intelligent and believe in him. So God is above logic. So we can be the smartest people in the world and we can logically dissect the data and really be like, I don't get it. And then we could be the dumbest person in the world and God's grace just move on us and we get it clearly. We might can't explain it. You know, one of the examples I like to talk about is explain the Trinity for me. Never met anyone that did a great job with it, but, but believers believe it's true. They believe that, that even though we read the scripture, the, you know, Trinity is a real deal. Um, but we don't understand it. It's just something that, that we understand because Christ lives in us, but we can't, we can't in our capacity explain it. Another example is when it says, um, God can do, um, more and above. We can either th think or imagine, I, I try to quote that the best way I could, but like, think about that idea. You can't even think or imagine the goodness he has for us as a human in, in your capacity as fallen man, you can't imagine it, but he says he puts eternity in a person's heart. So sometimes there's just this bubbling well in a, in us that we know that we don't fully see, but we will fully be seen as we're fully known. We'll fully know as we're fully known now, but that there's something greater to come. And this is something that God gives us a gift by putting his spirit that knows his thoughts inside of us. And we in this broken body can't fully communicate that. But that doesn't mean we have to be stupid to believe upon God. No, we can actually still have um, intelligence. And so what they're doing is they're actually yielding over to a depraved mind. They're yielding over to their lustful desires and emotions and condemning an innocent man. And, and that, that's still today when you get so upset about someone that you can, you slander their name and you talk about they're like the most evil person and you cannot do it with the basic sense of fact. You are wrong every time, every day you do that. You know, if you're going to condemn someone to death or ruin their reputation, it needs to be based on facts and evidence and when you do that outside of that i think you're breaking the um the ten commandments in the sense of bearing false testimony against your neighbor and they're doing that but that's and that's what jesus did he didn't try to defend himself he he let god defend him with the truth and he didn't try to defend himself because he knew that it would just lead to more corruption jesus so the truth that's what we're supposed to do. Speak the truth, believe it, and let the truth do what it, let God do what he's going to do. <laughs> so as a Christian, have you had a point where learning from the example of Jesus here that you realized that trying to defend yourself wasn't going to do any good and that, right. that you, you had to be silent and you had to bear the cross and yeah, just believe. <laughs> All right. Um, 
Any other thoughts before we move on? Uh, we've done two pilots. Maybe we can hit th the three Jesuses um, here. So we're fin we finished up 32, so we'd be picking up here with um, pilot three, four, and five, kind of starting in verse um, 33 here. So pilot entered his headquarters again, um, and that kind of speaks to a transition. They bring Jesus to the um, to him, and they have a little bit of back and forth. And so when we pick up in 34, 33, we're seeing some sort of transition. So Pilate entered his headquarters. So he had come out to see them because they couldn't come into his house because they didn't want to be defiled. And he had some conversation with them. And then he comes back into his headquarters and he calls Jesus and, and said to him, this is the question to Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Um, so take a moment and think about that. what's he asking there? What is, bless you, I think, um, what is, what is he, what is he asking there? And Jesus's response. So there's, 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 um, there was, so you, there's dialogue and there's monologue. So monologue is just one person um, speaking. And when he asks a question, it's re just rhetorical. It's not meant for you to answer it. Um, at this point, we're in dialogue conversation. When Pilate asks, um, what accusation do you make against him? Um, that's dialogue. When he says, why don't y'all try him with your own law? That's dialogue. Yeah. And here with Jesus, are you the Jews? That's dialogue. He's actually expecting Jesus to give him an answer. And in this case, we're in a little bit later, we're going to see Jesus not giving him an answer. And the lack of dialogue makes Pilate mad. But here Jesus gives him an answer. And he says, and Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord or do others say it to you about me? Now, in the plain reading of that, there's something sort of odd. Answered the question like that. Probably not. So why did Jesus ask that question? We know Jesus knows better than than us. And he's brilliant and awesome and truth and life and everything. So why did he why did he ask Pilate? How, why did he respond to the question, are you the king of the Jews in this way? And he's framing up for Pilate to think about, why are you asking this question? Are you asking it because of them? Are you asking it because something inside of you is prompting you to ask this? Now, in my opinion, a Pilate, the answer would be he's asking because the drama he's in. I don't see any indication that Pilate is asking because there's something leading him. Maybe a good example of that is at the end, the third part of John one, when he talks about Nathaniel and he speaks um, or when he speaks about all the people that went out and listened to John the Baptist, what he's laying out. And I think he lays this framework for us today. When you go to church today, are you going to check a box or are you going because you need to hear from Jesus and you want to hear from Jesus. So what he's asking, do you want to know if I'm the king of the Jews? Do you want to know if I'm a king? Like, do you really want to know? Or, or are you like these people that just are aggravated with me and want to see me go away? Where's your heart at in this situation? Um, so that's pilot three. Any thoughts on, on that there? Verses 33 and 34. Yeah, I think um, Pilate may have been expecting somebody different, uh, you know, given the charges and they're, they're wanting this man to be put to death. He's probably thinking of, here's some, you know, revolutionary rebel who's to be a king uh, and probably just perplexed. It's Jesus who's calm, not yeah. saying much. You know, uh -huh. not belligerent. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's a good point. Too. Like, so when we get to a little bit, we're gonna have the 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 choice between Barabbas and um and Jesus. And sometimes it says Barabbas was a murderer, but it's from my understanding that Barabbas was a zealot. And so when we go back and we look at um, what kind of Messiah they were looking for, they was looking for someone that would be more like King David and would actually militarily be strong and um, lead them out of the uh, 
oppressive nature of the Roman government that there would be a battle and they would win and they would say, see you later, Rome. We're, we're, we're the winners. We shot the BB gun kind of thing. You ate the applesauce kind of deal. And, um, and, and so, um, that's what they were looking for. And that's what they were trying to force Jesus to be. And he was the lamb, you know, they wanted a lion, the lamb, and it was difficult for many of them to process their, their, um, their preconceived notation of what the Messiah would look like when that was completely opposite or wrong in a lot of ways that was hard for them to hear it. So this question, are you asking, or are you just, are you asking for yourself or you're asking because someone else, and that's an important part. One of the things, if you were in this day, if you would have realized that Jesus as a lamb, not a lion, was the Messiah sent by God, for you to realize that you would have had to bring it to prayer. You would have had to bring it to the scriptures. You would have to say, this is a really odd God. What am I supposed to do with this God? God, help me. I mean, it's he's healing blind people. I mean, wouldn't you... Wouldn't that be from you? That can't be from the devil. So, so, but this isn't what we were, we were thinking you were bringing. Why is, why is he a lamb? Why is he quiet? And, and you would have had to bring those questions to the Lord and say, help me understand this. And, and that's what he's giving. He's leading Pilate to say, you know, is this just trivial for you? Is this just stuff you just have to do because it's your job? Or, or do you want to know who the king of the Jews are? Do you want to know who I really am? Um, so we're, we're almost out of time. Let me just hit one more because it's related. I don't want to leave us in kind of an odd spot. But in 35, it says, Pilate answered. So this is sort of a, a little bit of a response from Pilate. Pilate answers Am I a Jew? Like, why are you talking to me like this? Your own nation and chief priest has delivered you over to me. What have you done? So here's another question. And this is where Pilate gets pulled into the emotion of it. Um, you know, he's standing off. He's, he's, he's refusing to get in his hands dirty and to get in personal with Jesus. He's, he's saying, <coughs> second brother, you know, um, I'm not the one that has a whole nation coming and saying, I want, I want to, I want him dead. You know, am I a Jew? And, and, and he, he's, he's, but, but he's asking this question, what have you done? And then Jesus answers. So here's his response. My kingdom is not of this world. So now this is a, we, we talked about world already once. Um, I forgot exactly what it said. Um, so, so with the religious leaders in verse 20, he said, I've spoken openly to the world. So we ask in context, what was the group of people that he's defining as the world? But here, Jesus says in 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. So now we're start, sort of talking more physical and spiritual, heavenly and earthly. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. So he's used world three times here, teaching a world perspective that's different than the other world. And, um, and so what's interesting here is go back to that, that arrest. And it says, they said, we're looking for Jesus. And he says, I am he, and it says they fell back one of one of the contexts of and then there's the cutting of the ear, and he says, do you not know that I could bring whatever the number is, but a lot of angels, legions of angels, or, and, 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 and it's all pointing to documenting the fact that they didn't take Jesus by force. He willingly laid his life down, and that we could blame so-and-so so for 
being corrupt in the trial or doing this manipulation or whatever, but it was appointed a time for Jesus to die for the sins of the world. A different way of looking at the world. But it was pointed a time for him to die for those who would be saved. And um and and nothing was gonna stop that. When that time came, we didn't get to go through Gethsemane, but when Jesus prayed to his father in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, He said, Let let this cup pass, but not my will, but your will. And and um, I want to say it was in John 12 when the Greeks come and he starts talking, and he says, you know, this this hour, this is what I came for. The whole incarnation, the whole living the perfect life, the 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 whole being, the the man that fulfilled the law completely. This was all for this moment. Now that it's come, am I going to run from it? Am I going to flee from it? Am I going? No, I'm I'm not. And so, um, let's say, did we come to a third a stopping point? I lost my my place here. I, I turned over. We're at. Jesus, not not my kingdom of my world. So 37 says, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. We'll just, we'll leave that since we're out of time. Any final thoughts before, um, we'll pick back up on verse 37, uh, but any final thoughts on, on that right there, 33 to 36? Um, are you the king of the Jews? Am I a Jew? This kind of, um, what have you done? These kind of thoughts of Pilate. We'll let you go, Mike. Oh, Mr. Wayne, you saying something? Go ahead, then. Jesus gave, gave all the glory. Yeah. What's your, what's your thoughts, Mike? Yeah, when I see this, I think that Pilate was really just trying to belittle him. Um, you know, because in a sense, he, uh, Pilate is the king of the, uh, of the Roman nation, right? So king against king, right? And are, are you the king of the Jews? Like, is, is this the best they had to offer is, is, is the, the thought I, I have what Pilate was trying to get at. And it's, it's really trying to belittle him. And, but the responses that Christ used and the questions that he asked began to hit his heart. Um, and he realizes that, you know, as, as we get into it late, later on, you know, where Jesus said, it's for this reason I was born, you know, and then, and then they get into some, you know, what is truth and all that stuff. But, um, I, I see it as, as, as Pilate was really being a little smart aleck at first, you know, like, is this it? I mean, like, cause that remember the, the religious leaders didn't have any accusation. They just handed him over and they, they wanted him put to death. So his pilot's first question was, are you the king of the Jews? And, and Jesus's question to that question is, do you want to know? Or did someone else, uh, is this, are you asking for someone else's behalf? So it's, it's very interesting play on, on words and, and how, uh, meticulously Christ began to dissect, um, Pilate's heart. Yeah. what you think, Paul? I think obviously Pilate probably wasn't a, a good a good man. Um, I think he couldn't stand the religious leaders, so he kind of didn't want to give in to what they wanted anyway. Uh, but at the same time, he was um, kind of been getting in trouble for um, some of the insurrections and violence that was starting. So his job depended on keeping order in in um, Jerusalem as well. So he was kind of between a rock and a hard place, but in no way do I think he was really a good guy. But I think with his wife's dream and the fact that uh, what Jesus said, when he, because he talks about it a little bit later, he goes back inside and he's afraid. So I think he's superstitious and, you know, thinks, you know, he doesn't want to get in trouble with the you know little G gods or whatever he uh, believed in. I'm not, not sure what to think of who Jesus really was or what, why they brought him to him, but um yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if he was really trying to belittle Jesus so much as the fact that he was probably a very prideful man, but also he was just trying to figure out, I can't stand the religious leaders. I don't want to give in to them and do anything to this man uh, like they got one up to one up to me. But at the same time, I got to try to keep order or they're going to recall me to Rome 
in disgrace, you know. So a lot of a lot of different things fall into place here. And so I would leave as you're navigating through these points. We did four pilots and we did one kind of point of a religious leader. So we still have, we'll pick up um, next week um, at point five in verse 37. But I want you to think, um, you know, like what was your story? You know, how have you responded to Jesus as a pilot? You know, how, you know, when Jesus asked you, are you asking, are you asking for someone else? I mean, and what was your story? And and like some of you uh, made, I think it was Mike made the comment that like, are you really the king of the Jews that's going to fight against me or, or, or challenge my authority? But like, think about that. When you really understood what the gospel was, did you not have that attitude of Pilate that was like, um, really? This is what's going to save me. This is what these Christians are saying that I need. Are you serious? Like, because because in one sense, the gospel itself, reconciling you back to a holy God, is king. You know, in one sense, it's 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 the king thing that everybody in this world needs. If you don't have this king thing, this understanding of salvation through the gospel nothing that you do in life is ultimately going to matter. You, you have undervalued the, the power of in, in earthly terms, we have life and death, but in godly terms and heavenly terms, we have eternal life and eternal death. So we never really, you know, die. We either fully die in death or we fully die in life. And so eternal life is so much bigger of an issue than anything we deal with in life. And so when, when we, when we became a believer and we wrestled, we, we had people evangelize to us. They shared the gospel. You need Jesus. This is the gospel. Jesus is the only way to reconcile you with the father. And you just like, it, that was a different trial. We're talking about trials, but that was the trial of your heart. That was the trial for your salvation. That was the trial for your offenses to God. And as you, like Pilate, interacted with Jesus and had a back and forth dialogue question, you would ask Jesus questions. He would ask you questions and you would navigate through this. And in that, you had some of the same attitudes that pilot had and like i said like mike i think is the one that spoke up that he, there was sort of some arrogance there was some you know this like how many of you rejected the gospel in a sense and said that is so dumb like maybe even if you didn't say it openly you said it in the quietness of your heart i just don't see how that can save me until god's grace moved on you took the the blinders off your eyes unplugged your ears and took and melted the coldest of your heart and you fully like Mary, not like the logical Martha worried about the house. You fell at the feet of Jesus and said, I surrender all to you. You are King of Kings. You are Lord of Lords. You know, the way to life. I, I need your help to guide me into eternal life. Cause I can't find it on my own. And you went through that journey. And so I pray that that as we walk through these items, that we see our story and that we better understand how God rescued us and how when we're hopeful that he will rescue others that we care about and love, that we do our lives with, that they're going to have these same questions. They're going to want to act emotional like these religious leaders. They're going to want to unfairly put Jesus on trial. They're going to want to say harf, harmful things. But the end game is that we're praying that their eyes will be, you know, the scales will fall off their eyes. The ears will come unplugged. Their heart will, will melt and be able to truly love that they have a new heart, that they experience Jesus as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And that they can know that there's more than life and death, but there's eternal life and death. And that the only way to understand that and to enter into it in the right way is, is through Jesus. And so anyway, that's the trial. Any final thoughts before we jump off? I know we went a few minutes over. That's right. Thank you, Doug.
So we'll pick back up on 37. I hope everybody can make it back. If you don't, try to catch the podcast. Um, if you have any thoughts of, of of anything we say or do, if you're not making, just shoot me a text or something like that. Um, and we'll we'll make sure we're we're working through it all together. So um, Mike, you open. Mr. Wayne, you want to close this in prayer? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your obvious presence in our hearts today. Let us, as Dennis said, continue to let us uh, surrender to you, to your will, and to your leadership, and to have a, a peaceful life because that's what you desire. We thank you, Jesus, for everything you did for us and will do for us today and in the future. Amen. All right. We didn't get below freezing last night, but it, I think we got about seven days. So y'all remember to wrap pipes and stuff of that nature. All right. We'll talk All to right you see you guys. Thank you, so.